0: Hoot, hoot. blitz is defined as a sudden savage attack it is indeed all this the effect is sure the premise is simple it's a basic primal confrontation man to man no excuses are offered none except
1: welcome to the latest edition of longhorn blitz with horns 247com
2: Looks like a radio station
1: now here are your hosts
0: Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers.
1: Pure athlete, yeah. A transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are so full of that, man. I'm
0: right. And Jeff Howe,
1: It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said up. So. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns twenty four seven. I am Jeff How I don't know about you guys, man, but this these weather changes we're getting in Austin, it not only messes with my allergies, but man, my my arthritis, Rod B, the the, <laughs> the neck and the back and the hips to creak a little bit more. Old man. They're turning old man. That's how it is, man.
2: Yeah, you old man. Your body changes with the weather. That's why old people talk about the weather a lot because yeah. literally they have to keep you up with it. You feel it. You feel it. Yeah, you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, man, it must be cold and rainy outside. You know, you're feeling
1: it when you roll over in bed <laughs> and it sounds like you stepped on a package of bubble wrap. Yeah, it's, uh, that's yeah. why
2: Bucky's always talking about the weather <laughs> every morning. I think Bucky has like five-minute conversations about the weather at some point.
1: Well, it's cold outside, but we're going to keep it hot here on this edition of Longhorn Blitz, talking a lot of Longhorn football. The countdown to spring football is underway, and we've got a lot to get to. We're going to be defensive-centric on this week's show, so let's not waste any more time and get right into this week's proceedings as I officially bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. Yourself? Terrific. And... Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. I have two black cards?
2: I have yep. my black card. Yes, you did And then yeah. I have yeah. the DBU it's black card. It's like the card.
1: American Express black card. I don't have you know?
2: no. I've never, I have no chance probably ever in my life of getting that black card. We I've been around to... one of those a few of those black cards, well, like but I never say, said, had one.
1: We need to get you we need the DBU needs to have the the, the DBU black card.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I can uh, that American Express. I think you got to pay everything back at once, right? That, that American I don't America's, even don't know like, me, little, man. like you, re, you you charge it and you, <laughs> you got to repay it immediately. like I don't know if, uh, I don't know if I As far as
1: I know, Rod that's like Fight Club, man. The first robot Fight Club is don't talk about Fight Club. I
2: got it. First robot about owning a black card. I don't I've talk about those, the parameters exactly, of a black I've card. Seen the, I think Chick-fil-A has a black card, I think. Do they? Chick-fil-A has like, I think that means like you have you get free Chick-fil-A. Like it literally is like a black card. Like, I, they, like, once again, they don't talk about it. Right. But I have heard you can get a black card, free Chick-fil-A, any Chick-fil-A in the world. So that also exists. Universe card realm. Yeah, in the universe. It knows? even works on Sundays. Chick-fil-A, oh, yeah, I mean, did? even heaven. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In heaven, obviously, there's all just free Chick-fil-A everywhere. So there you go. <laughs> I can, certainly, I can certainly get with that.
1: Uh, <laughs> but, no, I actually uh, I actually had dinner at Chick-fil-A the other night uh, after I got done Amen. listening to Chris Ash Talk Football, the Central Texas Football Coaches Association. Uh, they've got their clinic series going mm. on right now, and they brought football in Chris Ash to talk defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I won't get too deep into the minutiae, but... Listening to Chris Ash talk and then kind of hearing Malcolm Roach's comments on Todd Orlando, which you know, you can go read the interview he did with Clarence Hill in the Fort Worth Star Telegram and kind of get the uh,
2: he said he was misquoted or mis it was. I think the it's phrasing it, was it, it sounded or like the
1: issue he had more so was with the headline than the actual yeah, yeah, it's
2: raining because
3: he had yeah, yeah, like yeah. some good, like just X's and O's talk, some good constructive criticism you could see hey. being a coach's kid and yeah. also like he's. I mean, there are ways that you can say I wasn't or this player or this position group wasn't used to be as effective as they could be. And it can be taken multiple ways. Yeah,
1: here's the bottom line: like I don't think anybody thought Malcolm Brooks was wrong with no. anything he said. No, definitely uh, not. But Rod, the the gist of it though, when he's talking about you know going to a four man front should help get more out of your most valuable assets. Which in this case, it, it's Joseph O'Sai. It's guys that can disrupt the passer. It was our last two weeks of shows. Yeah, and but that got me thinking. That got me thinking about you know because I, I sat in the clinic and listened to Todd Orlando talk defense and I, I like going to these clinics number one because it just kind of expands your football mind too and these guys talking have forgotten more football than I'll ever know but yep. i feel like it gives me an idea okay when you're watching it on the field like what are they trying to accomplish like it gives you just kind of a better frame of well, ultimately, reference
2: ultimately fo- football the beauty of it is it is an exchange of ideas i mean you saw you start you can the tentacles and the branches can all be traced to one right. another about the ideas and the concepts and the philosophies because yeah the, the, these guys would be idiots if they didn't get together and share ideas and go ooh, that's a good idea i yeah. like that you know what i'm going to steal that and use that with my with my concept
1: and i say all that to say this the more I think about football, specifically on defense, every defense, whether you're a three-man front, you're a four-man front, you're a quarters guy, you're a cover three guy, no matter what scheme you run, it's all designed to work. It just boils down, Rod, and we go, this goes back to the discussions we had at the end of the Manny Diaz era of defense at Texas. It really goes back to a couple of things, whether your scheme is going to be successful or not. Number one, do you have players? Number two, is your scheme to where you can put those players in the best position to succeed? And three, is your scheme teachable enough? Or are you able to teach it to where those guys can take it to the field and where they're not thinking it almost becomes second nature?
2: Uh, I would add one more to that. I think the scheme has to evolve. Um, I think in this era of football, especially we're talking about defense, I think in this era of football teams can figure out, figure out really quickly and it's only because the support staffs have been expanded so you literally have people in film rooms sitting there you know 12 18 hours a day just deciphering your codes deciphering your concepts deciphering your trends what you like to do certain situations all that kind of stuff So you have to evolve. You have to become someone who can break tendency at the right time, whether you're defense or offense. That's why look at Tom Herman, right? Tom Herman's offense, when he takes over the play calling in 2018, offense is awesome because it's his version of his pro spread. The Big 12 hadn't seen it. Give the Big 12 a little time to catch up to it, and then he looks all of a sudden like an offensive imbecile. Not overnight, no, no. He did not evolve that offense, right. though. We all know that he became almost too rigid. Eleven personnel, uh, you know what I mean. And things that he had to run in the concepts they liked to run, uh, you know, the, the the route concepts, the route combinations. They were too predictable. Uh, everybody knew what the hell was coming. You know, even Ed Orgeron admitted, "Oh man, they, they were tipping their plays." I knew when Sam Ehlinger was going to run that quarterback power. They knew that TCU, same thing. And that's because he did not evolve the offense. So I got to add in Todd Hell, forget Todd Vance Barford before him, and Manny Diaz before him. The only one that's evolved that defense, arguably, was Will Muschamp, was the last defensive coordinator that evolved that defense real time, especially in the Big 12 with yeah. all these great offensive minds. So I would add you have to evolve or you will wither and die.
3: Because they'll even evolve in-game and beat you in-game. Not yeah, not even what do. you're talking totally about, about agree. evolving to where like, those many layers of yeah. adjusting and just the it, ability to – Be able to identify and then, like Jeff was saying, first schematically implement and get your team. And we've seen that across college football for the last two decades get so much better that these kids can quickly be able to do so. But when you raise that baseline, then you're able to raise that in-game baseline. If these kids are able to see and identify and evolve, you're playing at a sophisticated level that really is just the constant evolution of football to where it gets in-game. And if you have that first script of 15 and you start to show – a few ideas that you yeah. have out there. If you aren't building off of that there forward with what the defense is giving you or how they're reacting to your offense, a good coach that is doing those type of things can quickly be able to do it a lot more so than they did a decade or I two ago. I just think it's,
2: it's becoming a game where you have to be uh, situationally oriented and game-specific about how you approach things. I think football's becoming that. Honestly, that's just kind of detail oriented. With Mm -hmm. you know, with the uh, you know, with the the with the stats oriented, the statistical era that we're in, I just think that's where we are.
3: And the specialization, like I mean, you look Mm -hmm. at these guys on the side. Like just watching the Super Bowl is so perfect because you're Andy Reid and you're Shanahan, and you can see those type of guys that like they're so comfortable in those type of settings because they've only lived and breathed football. That when it comes to these situational things, like they have these mental rolodexes of options that can be used that can spin off of one another. But well, Andy it's Reeves just in
2: place from 1950s. You yes. know what I mean? In the Super Bowl, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like that's how that's how deep and I think and thorough these mm-hmm. teams are getting. Exactly. So also I think self scouting is really important and being able to. All right, you know what? This is what we're good at. This is what we're bad at. Based on that, this is how teams are going to attack us. What can we do to mitigate the damage done by our weaknesses, but also increase and highlight our strengths?
1: Yeah. So. We tie all that together, Rod. Your my my three things I think went on defense. You're one, so really we've got four pillars of what makes a successful defense. Yeah, and when you look at this recent run of Texas defensive coordinators, they're when it goes bad, they're usually missing a couple of those. I think for Vance Bedford, I think it was they they lacked players, at least experienced players, and the scheme didn't evolve, as you said. Yeah, because I think I just think that staff was still. In a lot of ways, reluctant to admit that the Big Twelve is a different league. Like you, yeah. even like off the record, you would talk to those coaches like, "No, no, no, we'll figure it out." Like, "No, no, no, you guys are pre- to it's, mm-hmm. it's different." Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. what's going on offensively in this league is unlike anything else. Yeah. that's it's going on in it any other league drastic. in the country.
3: You yeah. can't use the knowledge you learned whenever X was X years ago because it doesn't relate right. to what you're facing now. It's flawed logic.
1: I think for Manny Diaz, Rod, and Todd Orlando, I think they were both missing the two same things. I think they didn't put players in the right position within their scheme, which means they took some bad situations and then compounded those bad situations with their own decisions. And then the scheme didn't evolve. And then I would say that Manny
2: Diaz before. was also, and I always said coaches are teachers. He wasn't a, I think now he may be a better teacher now, but I think back then the reason that he flourished with veteran players, and you you can say the same thing for maybe uh, Vance, Bedford, and also with Tarlendo, they flourished early on because they did have a lot of veteran players. Remember, they lose a ton of veteran players, all those Mm -hmm. guys, after their first year, second year, ultimately it leads to them having a ton of youth and inexperience in their third year, and then they fall off a cliff. Um, I don't think that's a coincidence, and I think that's because those guys being able to relate that scheme – to those younger players they didn't really do that successfully and also that that goes to backshit i think that's connected to them not evolving the scheme when you when you know you can't teach right. the current Scheme that you have and philosophy to those players, they're not getting it. It's not being received. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's exactly. Forget the whole <laughs> well, damn. Y'all don't get it. What can, can you do? What can you do? You, you can go. play Boom. cover four. Okay, all right. You can play cover that's four. That's probably what Robinson that. did exactly. whenever he that's came work, into. Let's fill-in. work with what you can do, and then we're gonna build a defense right. off of what my best that's players the old can head do does. and what they do well. Yeah. And you didn't do that because Joseph should have been playing. In the front seven and all that kind of stuff.
1: And, Matt, you mentioned him, and that's the guy Chris Ash to me is more in the mold of. He, to me, is more Greg Robinson in terms of, look, and I I got some. Like I said, I'm not going to get too deep into the minutia of what he said, but one thing that that stuck out when he's talking about kind of his his defensive foundation, uh, and he's talking about fundamentals, Mm -hmm. and he said there's two types of coordinators. There are schemers and there are executors. I like that. He describes himself as an executor. You're going to be real simple, but you're going to get lined up right. You're going to be a really good tackling defense. And he wants his scheme to be where guys can just go play fast. He doesn't want it bogged down. And Rod, talking to people at different levels of football, especially at the highest level, you talk to NFL people, and they've said for years, like, look, if Texas is one of those programs that if they're doing it the right way in terms of recruiting and player development, you don't need to be that complex on defense. Maybe there's – a couple of opponents a year, when you're playing maybe in Oklahoma or mm-hmm. you know, if a TCU is really good, or you got an LSU in non-conference, that's the game where may okay, you need to break out, really go into the toolbox and break something out. Yeah. But for the vast majority of your 12 game regular season, if you're doing it the right way, you don't need to be that complex. Just let these guys go play, and let them go be ball players. That's what Chris Ash wants to do. So. I think when you look at kind of the fundamental difference between Chris Ash and Todd Orlando anytime I, I this is just kind of buzzwords that I've learned like mm, send up a red flag for me whenever we get to the offseason and uh, you're talking about a Texas defensive coordinator and you're describing their defense and their changes of like, oh it's like got guys dropping out of helicopters it's like star wars to me now those are red flags cuz so I'm like okay <laughs> you're getting way you're getting way too complex we're going to get just bring, too much. just bring it back and just play good simple football and good point. So, I say all that to say this, when you tie all everything we talked about, you know, what makes a good defense and what this defense needs, I think Chris Ash I feel a lot better about this hire because I think that he's what this defense needs right now. You know, Rod, you've got players and we've talked we talked about linebacker mm-hmm. last week and we talked about it. We're going to keep talking about it just because it's the wild card. Like, we don't. How's this move with DeMarvion Overshone going to work out? Yep. What's Marcus Tillman going to be like coming off the injury? Same for Delia away. Jawan Mitchell was in the portal, then he's out of the portal. So what's the situation with him, right? David Bend is a guy that Todd Orlando was really high on. We know Tom Herman, Yancey McKnight, they really like him. So what is it like? We just don't know about inside linebacker right now. This is true. But every other position on that defense, whether you're talking about safety or the number of guys you could put a nickel, your cool. corners, D-line, you know you've got numbers, you know you've got talent at some of those positions, and you know you've got impact players at some of those positions. Yeah. So, Rod, I, I think the folk, you, we can talk about schemes and four-man fronts and whatever coverage, what kind of coverage principles do you follow, but I think the best thing Chris Ash is going to do for this defense, he's just going to get guys in the best position, one guy in particular, Joseph Osai, get him on the edge to where he's playing forward We're and not right backward and going into yeah. space just get them in a position where they can go play fast and just go make plays. Well,
2: if you're going to be an executor coach then you got to be able to develop talent. If you're going to if you're not going to win by being having a fancy scheme, which is we didn't win with we had, you know, Carl Boris, he was just running man coverage majority of the time. I mean, that's just what it was. <laughs> yeah. And we played bump and run hell probably more than half the time, but we were really good at it. We had really good DBs and hell we didn't really give a damn if you knew what we were doing. We were just that good at executing that specific uh, tactic. Oh, five defense yeah. is that basic. Um, but if you look at it, you know, obviously Greg Davis was kind of like that, right? Greg Davis is was an executor coach. You know, I I, I described them as, you know, they there are system coaches and they are formula coaches, but his is executors and schemers. And what he's saying about kind of like Greg Davis, Greg Davis didn't really have a, you know, a scheme that he was married to. He was like, all right, what's my raw materials? What am I presented with? Oh, I got Vy. I got you know, said B in the backfield. All right, you know what? We're going to run zone read, read option. They don't give a damn if they know it. We got a really good O-line, NFL O-line, and we're going to be great. Screw it. We don't have awesome wide receivers. Our receivers are okay. But our tight ends are really good. Our O-line's really good. Our backfield's one of the best in the country, and our quarterback's really good. That'll be the focus of the offense. Changed when he got Cole McCoy. It's like, oh, our receivers actually are really damn good. Jordan Shipley, Coin Cosby. All right, West Coast hybrid. Of this offense We're going to go High percentage Passing game And different When you had Chris Sims It was a pro style Even though it probably Should have been More of a spread offense But you know I mean He, he changed yeah. He was a, he was an executor Hey just execute this And we'll be fine So he understood About Texas But you've got to Develop talent If you're going to be That type of if That type of offense And I'm sorry That type of defense And right now Texas is not Developing talent We all know That might be The biggest issue Here on the 40 acres
1: Yeah And I think When you look at The development The The ability, if I can talk right today, to develop talent. You know, one of the things Chris Ash talked about, why he likes a four-man front, and he said, what do you have in the state of Texas? And we talked about it. They've had them in the state of Texas. You've got the ability to recruit impact defensive linemen out of the state. And whether you're talking about Solomon Thomas or Miles Garrett, go to DeMarvin Leal or recently Vernon Broughton, Alfred Collins, like you have highly recruited defensive linemen in the state. And Chris Ash basically said it's their jobs. As a staff, him being the defensive coordinator, primarily his job, to make sure you're recruiting those guys and you're getting the most out of them.
2: Doing a good job and so if you're far. And du- if you're doing <laughs> that,
1: then your four-man front should be pretty dang good in due time.
3: Just I off the that. top of your head, do you remember, when was the last time Texas had two D-linemen in the same class, like a Collins and a Broughton?
1: 2012, Malcolm Brown Hassan Ridgway. Yeah.
3: And mm-hmm. other than that, though, that's But about... that's
1: 2012. We're going yeah. into the 2020 season. It's mm-hmm. been a long time. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, that's about the only one you could think of too. I mean, we talked about the 2016 class and just you know, like we were talking about uh, you know Charlie Strong before we started recording and the fact that you know how is Nick Saban gonna get the most out of Charlie Strong in this analyst role? I think we can all agree Charlie Strong as an evaluator of defensive prospects, pretty dang good. Yes, he is. And when look no further than uh, that 2016 defensive line class. Malcolm Roach is a guy they coveted. Mm-hmm. Malcolm Roach has got a chance to be an NFL player now. to Jordan Elliott was a guy that they valued. Jordan Elliott's going to be an NFL player. He just didn't do Great it draft. at Texas. High. But, you know, but the, the further point, and Matt, this goes back to our bus rate conversation and everything mm-hmm. else. You look at that 2016 D-line class, those guys came to Texas to play for Brick Haley. Brick Haley's gone after one year. And you have just massive amounts of attrition. Mm -hmm. And you have a scheme change where some of those guys no longer fit. So that's why when we're talking about recruiting rankings, you can't just look at a class ranking and say, well, I mean, they had the seventh best class in the country this year. Why aren't they good? Well, look deeper into it, and you'll see why the results aren't there because there's attrition or there's coaching changes, there's scheme changes. There's all different kinds of things that go into that. But I think, Rod, really, when it boils down to it with Chris Ash, is – They're going to do a couple of things and just looking at his kind of defensive objectives. And again, I'm just going to share some of this, I won't share all of it. Uh, Basically, their defensive objectives. It sounds simple, but this is what they want to do prevent points first and foremost. Like it's funny how when you hear a coach talk about, oh, we want to do this, we want to do that. No, keep people out of the damn end zone. That should be your number one objective all the time. Prevent points, create takeaways, stop the run affect the quarterback, and again, this is something like, oh, you mean sacks? No, he's talking about Mm -hmm. Pressures. Hits, pressures, you force a bad throw, whatever. It's the same
3: idea of like if you watch a basketball game, not every shot's blocked, but you can have a big guy alter a shot and the ball goes 20 feet away from the basket and has no chance. It's a huge impact. It never comes down. I mean, just affecting passing lanes and being able to have your eyes on quarterbacks and being so skilled like a guy like a guy, you could see Malcolm Roach doing it all the time, a type of guy that could understand what he's facing and be able to have depth in your assignment and be able to see who's behind you, If what's happening with the zone read, what's happening with the quarterback play, like all those type of things that the D-line or linebackers or any pass rusher can really do. They, I mean, passing lanes these days, these quarterbacks are so good at being able to squeeze them through different holes. And if you can be something that can neutralize that, it really does take away a huge threat.
2: Perfect example is Chris Jones in the Super Bowl. Yep. Might have won the Super Bowl for Kansas City. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if he had a tackle in the game. He had like oh, one yeah. tackle in the game. It's you where box I mean? scores, <laughs> stats don't yeah, matter. He deflected heard, you know, passes and like he had a hit on them. That mm-hmm. I think that was the interception. Like he was the one that got the pressure initially when Grappolo threw the pick. So yeah, you can affect the pass in a lot of ways. Oh, so and if you look here.
3: at the statistical ability to have an impact on the place, why if you were to look, there's a slight correlation. QB pressures is the best one if you want to find one that can mm-hmm. actually predict turnovers.
2: Yeah.
1: Bringing it back home, Rod. Even more so than Chris Jones, go back and look at Puna Ford's twenty seventeen tape.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Like, not a lot of stats, not a lot on that stat sheet. But go watch the go, film.
1: Go turn that film on. Yeah,
2: and that's what disruption. That's in the what Pete film. Carroll and company did. Thank God somebody yeah. did it. A lot of NFL scouts did not do it. They looked at their stat sheet and it was like, "Nah." A lot of Big Twelve the 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 coaches and the the media in the I think the uh, the post the postseason. Um, awards, They did notice because I think after Puna Ford had dominated the line of scrimmage out and all those games, they were like, all right, that guy's the real deal. Yeah. So th- that's why he won defensive line of the year. Hey, and
1: Charles, Charles, who did the same thing the following year, like Charles, Amenehu, if, if you go back and watch the film, like there are two games, Charles, who made plays that won them the game, probably when you Texas look at the body Tech. work, Texas Tech and Baylor. Yeah. Like game. go back go back and watch that last That's drive cool. of the Baylor game when Baylor's got three shots in the end zone when Todd Orlando finally said, All right, just line him up with a wide shade, just go go get after the quarterback and he rushed three throws from Charlie Brewer, Texas wins the game.
3: Now you at saw yeah. the certain People, with I think somebody with Pro Football Focus and another one—I uh, can't remember the name, but I'll get it for next week's show—started to chart just yards after contact for running backs and how different it is if you're contacted in the backfield because oh, yeah. those yak ca- yards yeah. matter so much more than your yak yards Could've against been, a linebacker yeah. when you have your momentum. Could have been negative play. Yes, yeah. and then now you're adding eight, 10 yards, but. Because of that, they've also started to just chart the penetration of D linemen to where see how deep do they penetrate the line mm. in to where there can't be the metrics that you can look at. It's just when you're in the infancy of even thinking of these things to start charting. There's a lot to be done, but Puna Ford is one of those guys that you would always see. He'd be like, "Oh well, if you see you're pushing that guy back into the quarterback, those are the type of disruptor. your Casey Hampton plays like Casey yeah, Hampton probably that. led the nation
1: in that. That's a good point. We always talk about you know that that 2000 Oklahoma game, Rob, the one you say was maybe the most embarrassing of your college career. Oh, yeah. When Mac tells you guys nobody played well and Daryl Royal gets on the bus and says, hey, that's not true. You need to go watch the film and go watch what 64 did all game. and Casey Hampton whips
2: He whipped a whole bunch of people, a whole <laughs> bunch of Sooners that day. They remember Casey Hampton. They beat they whipped us, but he whipped them. <laughs> Which is an amazing
1: thing. And that, that's how you win Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, So, Chris Ash's five defensive objectives, and, Rod, this next one is where I want to get you involved. So, just to recap, prevent points, create turnovers, stop the run, affect the quarterback, and the fifth one, Mr. Babers, near and dear to your heart, challenge the wide receivers. I
2: like that. Yeah, nobody does. nobody does that anymore. Just get up there for five yards and just – turn it's like turn and run it's not bump and run anymore can can we have
1: like just a football philosophical football conversation real quick i don't want to get too deep into the weeds because we got to get it relating to texas rod what is what is the the mindset the thought process especially in this league of giving guys free releases because to me it just doesn't make any sense yeah
2: i don't understand it either i've I don't know, I've tried to talk to coaches that I know about it, and they really can't figure it out either because in practice, I know they're teaching hand placement, um, you know, shuffling, keeping your, your feet uh, and your center in front of the wide receiver, looking at the hips because the hips, are, hips don't lie, all right? Uh, Shakira's hips might lie, but the, 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 the <laughs> hips don't lie. They'll t- always tell you where the receiver's going. And yet every time I look, even at the NFL level, it's very rare to see somebody try to actually get a jam and disrupt the wide receiver. And man, I remember when that was the the entire point of mm-hmm. getting you know, playing bump and run. But now it's different. So it's a different it's a different era of football. Though you got the spread era of football. I don't know how that affects. I mean, I I started in that era, but now it's a little different. So maybe these spread babies who grow up in you know seven on seven leagues all the time and all this other kind of stuff, maybe they just have a different you know technique that they're, they're, they're trying to cultivate. But I, I'm with you. I think it's a, it's almost like tackling to me. It's a travesty. It's like, man, so, somebody is teaching them the wrong foundation of that tactic, whether it be bumping or tackling, and they made it all the way to the highest level and still really don't know how to do it.
3: Well, and if we're <laughs> talking about modern passing games, how quick it is, I mean, we're talking about playing within those first three seconds when you get to the NFL level and – getting rid of a football. So, in theory, if you can disrupt that, that is something that could be as valuable or more valuable at stopping the modern pass game.
2: But it's also, you know. It's it's harder to do, I guess, in a game where they're creating space more and more. Bunch formations, condensed formations, putting guys in motion. You know what I mean? There are ways now they're creating space, and bump and run is basically – Essentially, it's the same concept as trying to trying an open field tackle when I mean, it's a really good athlete there. And you're trying to somehow uh, cause, uh, you know, confrontation or cause physical contact within that two to three yard space it's a lot tougher than it may look against an elite Well, athlete. and then the
3: way that all these audibles at the line, in theory, if receivers are being taught to read the keys of the DB, that if he's in option a bump routes, and roll thing, you yeah. can easily do the opposite and be able to just get quickly yeah. open if everybody's reading that at the line of scrimmage.
2: They read leverage, those option routes, which so the air exact, is the area kind of based that's on, That's just too. exactly
3: yeah. where it makes it so tough to do that, unless you're a freak and one of the few guys in the NFL that can do it.
1: But I think now knowing – how much Chris Ash values the ability to challenge wide receivers. To me, Rod, it makes the nickel conversation with moving Anthony Cook there, getting him a look there, to me it makes it make more sense where now you want – you're putting more an emphasis on coverage on the back end. and We talked about that. But to me it tells me you're out you're, – you're two corners. You're guys that are going to be on islands. They want that to be Jalen Green and Deshaun Jameson because mm-hmm. you've got two – aggressive physical press corners and it seems like that's really what they want out of that position going forward
2: i agree I, I, Jalen green does generally genuinely try to get a generally and genuinely try to get a jam at the line of scrimmage i when i've watched him and deshaun jameson although he is slight all uh, right in terms of frame he is a lot more physical than you think for a guy his size and i like his technique at the line of scrimmage i think he's he's raw i think he's um he's so overly aggressive at times he gets himself out of position but his ball hawking ability is so amazing that he's got great catch up speed because he's just a natural ball hawk but all those guys if Jay Lai is you know he's got the confidence of Chris Ash if he is as good as you know Chris Ash hopes that he is then he'll teach those guys better technique and they'll become better press corners and if you got a four man line and you got guys on the line that can get to the quarterback trust me man that half a second you can get that wide receiver to delay man, it could mean the the difference between a sack and a pressure and a throwaway and, hell, a first down or a touchdown. Like, it really is. I mean, it, when you start looking at how everything's interconnected, uh, when we had Casey Hampton and Sean Rogers on our D-line, I mean, honestly, it was – I remember, you know, figuring out later on, like, oh, I only have to cover for, like, a, a second and a half or two seconds. <laughs> so I can be really aggressive at the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. because – if he if if he you know say the wide receiver beats me he he better he better beat me in less than 2 seconds he better beat me really quick cuz if not the middle of the line, there's Casey Hampton and Sean Rogers. They're going to force that quarterback outside of his natural like pivot point. You know, I mean, wherever he wants to be, like his natural um, point in the pocket. Yeah, Casey yeah. Hampton
3: in college, his quickness was like a Aaron Donald yeah, in the NFL. What, I mean? what you see, yeah. like from so, the middle, he yeah. could
2: get to that pressure. Exactly. So they're going to force him outside the pocket. They're going to force him to go to his second read. And honestly, I kind of built my bump and run technique that year off that principle. And I became more disciplined later on and started to use more catch technique to catch the receivers. But I remember that year thinking, no, no, no let's go after those damn dudes. Like, yeah. be aggressive when we you're bump and run. <laughs>
3: you literally have Jammer, who has the best name for a bump and run guy you could ever exist exactly. on the other side. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like we, we <laughs> but,
2: Yeah, exactly. We're but, like, no, no, let's just maul wide receivers, man. Yep, let's maul physical. the hell out of them. And it worked. Everett Withers, actually, with the DB coach. He oh, was, yeah, coming to we we do agree, offense. Who agreed with the philosophy. Well, so, so,
1: Rod, I, I just want to talk some of Chris Asher's coverage philosophy. Uh, When he's talking about coverages, and again, this is just like in a 45-minute, one-hour chalk talk, so this isn't like everything Texas is going to do. This is just kind of the meat and potatoes of it, if you will. Uh, They want to challenge every throw. Uh, They're going to run mixed man and zone. Uh, They want to get the safeties involved in the run game, which when you look at his kind of how press quarters works or quarters coverage works, your safeties more often than not are your read players, and it's really – like quarters, that's why so many people like running quarters because it's really it really helps your safeties out. They're playing from depth, so it gives them an easy read yeah, whether they're playing run, zones. playing pass, yeah. exactly. But Rod, the technique Chris Ash wants to lean on in terms of his corners is press and bail. Hmm.
2: Yeah. Not now. Is this it simultaneously same like same football play? Yeah. Press and then bail. Yes. Okay. Well, no, I got, I mean. Sounds like what Robert's saying. And you get up on I, I, and then I, you I got think, to recoup. I remember hearing Nick Saban say that he hates backpedaling and he thinks that it's a wasted technique in football. Like, you don't need it anymore. Like, it's antiquated. So, even when I was with Coach Aquino, we were doing shuffling, uh, even when we did it, as opposed to just an old-school backpedal. And I think that the bail technique, is it's basically like giving you – it's opening up to the quarterback so you can read the quarterback, but also allowing you – to shadow or allowing you to basically, you know, be really close to mug the wide receivers if you will and look through them to the quarterback. And Coach Akino would always have these different terms like, you know, feel the feel the wide receiver feel him, feel him <laughs> and see the quarterback feel him. Like if you had your back to the quarter, uh, the wide receiver looking back at the quarterback, I can't see the wide receiver, but I got to be in the feeling. Well, Whether that's why you feel him, or physically feel him because if he gets, you know, out of my my Periphery, I got to be able to physically feel him or almost like the force, you know, Nathan Nasty Nate would have it where you're 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 close, you're almost drawn and magnetically to that wide receiver, and, and you become the wide. It's, it's where I, I couldn't do that, I had to physically feel it's the like wide receiver. guys with the basketball that's it's, it's yeah, like a part like of those, them, that's like, that's they saying, just a, have that that's next a level hawking thing. But yeah, I mean, there's there's even in zone coverage, you want to be able to look through the wide receiver to the quarterback. And so you always keep your number one read, and with Coach Aquino, and I'm sure they're going to do it too. You're looking through number one, which is the 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 receiver close to the sideline, to number two. Your your read, and a lot of the time in your zone coverages, is the number two receiver, um, depending on if you're going to they allow you to jump the outside cut or jump the you know jump the out route, or if they're going to allow you to drop back on the smash concept. They're running the seven and your guys running the the smash route. You know what I mean? To help out your safety. A lot of times you're reading that stuff like that. You're gonna be there to help out your safety. They want they don't want the safety to have to cover the seven route and the the post and the post corner and hips, the seven route. Like you can't yeah, so it's almost one... like what happened at, to the Tyreek Hill play. What happened mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl? It's like, yep. man, you know th- that one corner, second, your hips yeah, are done, that, you're done. That corner was supposed to keep dropping back because the number one receiver went in. It was a six route. He should have been reading number two. Number two kept going. Number two was already running the nine route, the deep route, or the post route or the corner, and that corner should have been there to drop back underneath it. He wasn't. So Tyreek Hill gets the fifty whatever yard. Because uh, that one second yards, to and flip yeah. your hips. You but might, my point is yeah. that's that's in zone coverage. He's going to be the most time that that guy's going to bail so he can read through the number one receiver to number two, so that he can break on that route as well. You know, what I mean, and kind of the matchup zone. I don't know exactly if that's how they're doing it, but usually that's the, one of the reasons why you want him opening up his hips to look through to the quarterback and that's right. why
3: he would it's basically all comes back to your footwork and the way that you teach it yeah. So you, then you can never put yourself in that position where you are like that DB against Tyree kill yeah. that now you had him you were in position but because what you're reading where your hips were sending you you can't make that other turn to that secondary area the way that a guy like Tyree kill yeah. then runs you spins you around like a top
2: now they're playing cover four and in the Super Bowl they were playing cover three but it's still the same principle yeah. when you're playing that quarters coverage that number two receiver is Threatening that safety, so he is manipulating. If he is like up that. one-on-one on that safety with uh, that open field like that, there's no way that safety is going to be able to cover him on those deep balls. So, and that's why when they're bailing, I bet they're going to shuffle first. I bet they're going to get three, four shuffles in to read the three-step or the read the quick drop or the slant. Because the shuffle or, keeps you from you know flipping I mean? your hips. Yeah, so it it keeps exactly. Because you, you don't want to flip, you flip your hips naturally yeah. to bail, and then you're already S-O-L. That, that receiver's got him right where you want him. You're shuffling, and you can still kind of read that three-step, read that five-step. Yeah,
1: the idea of press bail technique is basically roll your corners up on the line of scrimmage with Rod. Again, you're almost giving the illusion that you're challenging the throw. And you are. No, and you, you then, are. You and are. And then you're, 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 you're still, still in your alignment. you your alignment
2: is yeah. challenging the the three step and the slant because you're like all oh, right he's gonna go but man what if he reads it really quickly like that quick out so your alignment where well, that's why I think they'll shuffle coming out quick they'll they'll now if you get a Tyreek Hill <laughs> or you get you know what I mean you get somebody out there a Devin Duvernay you want, might want to shuffle one His as opposed to three times while yeah are you know shuffling. what I mean so I think that's how no it'll vary but that's why you want to do it. Yeah, and that's it. It'll naturally take away the quick game just because of the position of the DBs. And I don't know where he wants his nickel. Sometimes the nickel is there at a you know kind of a three three yard kind of three to five yard cushion to catch the wide receiver. Sometimes that's the technique. Man, that, I don't know what the technique is. Everybody's different for that slot. That yeah, It's so monster, hard man. because like it's you, just uh, so tough.
3: You, and going the multi-direction ability, oh, and man. then to be able, but think about having to like nowadays read the passing language. Those DBs can't even see over well, and some that of these tackles. A lot of the times now, then monster and, old oh, right there, so you dude, can't even see the quarterback.
2: It's it's, it's a man's game. <laughs> <Yeah>. It basically <laughs> puts butter. the sh- the nickel it's into a, a shotgun yeah.
3: position the way the quarterback's in a shotgun. That's why I
2: would train multiple guys for it i wouldn't just depend on anthony cook no i'm trading like three different guys for it because when the fit hits the shan and i go okay this guy can't handle it We got we got deshaun james get up in there let's move cook back out to corner maybe that's a little bit better because even as a guy who played both i'll tell you it's an easier road playing <laughs> that corner outside me with that sideline inside that's a man's game you're basically a linebacker and they want you they want you to be a cornerback and a linebacker that's
1: beast well, I, I think the the nickel you know, Todd Orlando really preferred kind of the big nickel, a more physical type safety. nickel, a safety yeah. safety body type. I would like to see Chris Ash, to your point, Rod, I would like to see him be more kind of fluid with that position, train Great. multiple guys there because, let's face it, like l- just look at the schedule, right? Other than you've got two games in three weeks, you've got UTEP, a bye week, and then K-State. Those three weeks, you know UTEP, you know, K-State, you know, Chris is going to have multiple tight ends. They're going to try yep. to run the football, He's get down. Big, uh, you know, Dana Dimmel. Dana Dimmel still likes using fullbacks mm-hmm. and multiple tight ends. Other than those two games, right, and we'll see kind of – I mean, I think Dave is going to be spread. You know, Kansas is more spread now. You know, other than Iowa State, who they'll get in everything from 10 to, you yeah. um, know, Thirteen personal. They'll, I really, love Iowa they'll go. Office they'll they'll, office they'll office. go twenty three person. As like, multiple as yes. it gets. <laughs> so really other than those three games, other than UTEP, K State, and Iowa State, you're probably not going to need and I'll say even really other than those two games, other than UTEP and K State, those are two games where you'll need to have three true linebackers. You'll need to have a Sam linebacker on the yeah, field. Yeah,
2: potentially. Mm-hmm. But
1: the other 10 games, Rod, you can get away with having, like against Iowa State, B.J. Foster should be your ideal nickel for the Iowa State game. Because you know what? If they do come out in 13 personnel, yeah. okay, well, I trust B.J. Foster to be physical enough to handle the tight end.
2: I totally agree. I don't need to
1: sub a sandbacker. Just like we talk about with offense, how you're going to use Jordan Whittington and Jake Smith and give yourself multiplicity. Okay, you want to go tempo? You want to tempo me? Great. If I've got a nickel package with B.J. Foster on the field, line up in 22 personnel. Yes. Then go line up in 10. It's fine. We've got it covered.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. That's why and that's why the overshown experiment is, 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 it could be vital to mm-hmm. the right. defense. Because you don't know how it's going to go. We don't know how quickly he's going to acclimate to it. Um, you know, I said ideally you want him to become your Isaiah Simmons at one point. You know, what I mean he can play any position, arguably on defense. But right now you want to be you want him to master something. They're going to try to ma- master that will linebacker. But if he can come along quicker and you know sooner rather than later, I mean that changes everything about your nickel. That, your nickel dime sub packages. Well, and when all you that. can confuse a team like they, Iowa exactly. State because Iowa that State guy, will be sitting there thinking he's playing a position exactly. that he's played like, all is season. He, is and he, is he they're like, safety? Is no,
3: he and now manager? he's going to be able to like, cover what? those tight ends Dude. or be able. Yeah, so that
2: I think you know you got to watch that when you're talking about you know who's going to play the nickel. Cause that, cause that changes the way I match up. If he is moving, if he's moving quickly, moving along quickly, I want to expedite his development. Because there's already no will, film on him, and then yeah. when there's
3: film on him, if yeah. you have other things you haven't shown, because you know oh, he man. has that skill set that yeah. you then can show it in conference he, he, play.
2: Joseph messiah and him, you got to be really excited about what their ceiling could be, because we know Joseph messiah obviously best player on the defense, but. I've had more and more I fall in love with a guy like Isaiah Simmons. Demarion Olsen, he's not going to be Isaiah Simmons, but at, Brent Venables built that defense around Isaiah Simmons' mm-hmm. unique, you know, s- specific skill set. And a lot of people would have wasted him as a tweener, and yet you had Venables was like, no, 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 man, this dude, <laughs> this, dude, this <laughs> dude is next level. He can make us – he basically can make us – a. a able to match up with any offensive personnel package or formation. I just got to make him the chess piece that he I move with around. He plays group. Yeah, he's a you know D, D lineman, he's then, a DB, and, yeah, and a linebacker. And I, I can actually use him to the point where I can start making the offense... Adjust to me because be they don't know exactly if he's a DN, a linebacker, a safety, yep. or whatever. And that's the ultimate chess game, that you're getting into. So that's what I want to be. That's what I want for Overshine. What I would then, like him to be.
1: When you look at Chris Ash's personnel at Ohio State, and there's a lot of Ohio State film on that that those cutups he showed when he was talking about mm-hmm. tackling and what makes a good tackle. It's so a lot of Darren Lee cutups on that film, and Darren Lee yeah. at Ohio State yeah. was a guy. Six one, two thirty
2: two. Could yeah. really
1: run. Now the difference is with overshone he's six four and he's long, but it's the same, it's the same concept. Multiplicity
2: in the skill set, the hybrids. Yeah. yeah. That's why he's closer to the Simmons. Yep. Agreed. No, I'm with you. I I've I, I I've been thinking about what he could be, and I just keep looking at Isaiah Simmons, and it's just, you know, it's hard not to get excited about Overshone's ceiling, because I think mm-hmm. that him and Isaiah Simmons that might be the perfect comp. And then right if you're talking long.
3: about valuable pieces, the way he could – overshone could be one, and then even the way we have, you know, with Foster at the nickel. But if you go up to the D-line and you brought up Osai, and if he's now strictly going to be focusing on being just a D-lineman that's getting to the pass rush, but in the modern game, you have so much that's played and manipulated in the backfield between the quarterback and a running back. And if you oh, yeah. just have a guy that is a straight athlete that knows – Football and knows angles and knows how to get to the ball. That's what he's doing as a pass rusher. It also can be really valuable in those situations where you're trying to manipulate the nearest man in one play and be able to go and deal with these different RPOs and zone reads and things that are normally going to be able to beat one man. But if you have one guy that can react in space and beat his person, he can overrule The numbers game. Whenever they're manipulating you with two in the football and one guy, and that's something that is one of the reasons that we say that like he was devalued by how he was being taken away from that area last season.
2: Joseph Versailles. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Totally agree. I think that most the three most what could be the three most important pieces on defense because I think. I think on offense, and we'll get into that, I think offense has this, too, that guys that will make your defense multiple, as Matt mentioned, right, that, that will give you the ability to win the chess match because the offense can't really decipher what their responsibilities and roles are on any given play, and offenses are built on, that's the mic that's the wheel. Mm-hmm. This guy plays this role. Okay, so now I know who to block, and now I know who whatever. Everything's what based off of that. And if you can fool the quarterback and fool the offense by being able to move guys around mm-hmm. because of multiple skill sets, then you win. And that's why Honey Badger is, is great at what he does with Derwin James and uh, Mika Fitzpatrick in the NFL. You hear about all these guys who have that, that, that hybrid skill set. If you're Texas, B.J. Foster, DeMarvion Overshone, and Joseph Asai are your three yeah. hybrid guys, mm-hmm. they are, and, and and depending on how you use those three and how you develop those three, you really can make this defense, and for the next few years, because Chris Chris Ash, we're talking about you know him being the defensive coordinator for the next couple of years, hopefully, um, and you could be talking about taking this defense to a Brent Venables type of level, because that's what Venables has been able to do really well. Uh, you talked about Chris Ash; he's got a history of, of something doing some things like that too, and I think that to me is going to be key. Those guys – because that's the future of football to me. Yeah, they sort of the, hybrid, the hybridism is the future of football. There's no question.
1: Yeah. Do you have something, Matt?
3: No, no. I was just going to say they can unlock the rest of the roster.
2: <laughs> yes. I totally agree. Yes. yes because- they'll make – Joseph Asai being on that front four makes everybody on that front four and that defensive line better. Yes. Everybody's better because then they got to double him. That means other guys are getting single blocking. Just those – yeah, so those little moves like that. You know, that so
1: the get. same thing. I mean, the overshone move, I'm fascinated to see how that works just because – I want to know what he can handle. If he can handle a lot, then, as you said, Rod, that thing could take off. Now you're asking Delia Dayway or Jawan Mitchell, whoever your Mike linebacker is, you're asking them to do a hell of a lot less than they were being asked to do last year.
2: That's a good point. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. And those guys, I mean, you got some experience now. Those those linebackers, I know last year they were a little erratic, but now there's more experience in linebacking core. And the truth is, I know they're weak at linebacker, but you're asking the least out of your – out yeah. of that position, if you are going to have area the be posi- weak, that's fine. Give yeah, me a pass rush groups, and
3: guys that can cover. Yeah,
2: this year you are asking least out of them. You are asking more out of your D line, more <laughs> out of your defensive backfield. You are asking them to do the least amount. And I don't. Chris Ash's defense. I got to go look at kind of the uh, the infrastructure of it and the linebackers' responsibilities and all that. But if he's smart, he 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 tailors his defense a little bit. To put more responsibility on the defensive
1: line well, he, yeah. on
2: the secondary and less on that linebacker. Even right now, before you know who's gonna be the starting linebacker, I would already make that adjustment. When he
1: talked in the press conference about just from a personnel standpoint, how he wants to build this defense. Yeah. He talked about first and foremost, you gotta have a playoff caliber defensive line. That's where it starts. And in this league, you and the way football's going, you've got to have guys can cover on the back end. Yep. And he almost made linebacker sound like, Yeah, we'll we'll worry about that later. Yeah. Basically, if you got guys that can go sideline to sideline, if you're doing it right on the front end and on the back end, you can yeah. you can manufacture some things yeah, that line That's
2: a that's a game plan specific thing that may hurt you against a, a Matt Campbell and a Lincoln Riley, and you know mm-hmm. I mean these really good no, offensive no. minds. But you're right; just so you can have the basic infrastructure, the blueprint of defense, D line. Secondary, I told you that fits right now with what Texas is bringing to the table. Which again is
1: why the more yeah. I dig into Chris Ash, the more I like the fit. Yeah,
2: it yeah, fits. And then if you're talking about that, we've
3: already had that position be one that's devalued, that it's not needed as much at linebacker. Then also think I about. Think,
2: I, I think it's needed. I just, I, I think, it, I think it's, I think they're hard to find. Yes, and I, I think because of that. I, you know, I think it's easier to find good D linemen and secondary guys. So I'm not saying it's not. No, important. And I agree. I guess I'm said if, if I could find them, it would be important. But because it's it's hard to find those guys, I would devalue it within the construct of the defense.
3: So if you're if a part of your defense is more deficient than the other, linebackers yes. are the type of one that not only on your own personnel, but when you're then looking at okay, well, how are they? Do we want the opposing team to attack us? Well, this league where it's so explosive and throwing the ball all over the league in big plays is what what beats you, if you're saying, well, now we may entice the opposing team to want to take advantage of that and say, run the ball, which is going to go and lower their ceiling as an offense. And it's going to play into what sort of you want to do. Well, what do you want to do against these explosive offenses? Well, make them do it a lot and not have any explosives to beat you. Well, they're sort of playing into you, and it almost deduces your offense into something that you want them to do. The way that we saw Gundy continue to run against Texas because he had the advantage, not knowing that they're almost falling into the trap that you're telling them, oh, okay, well, if we have a maybe a deficient area that you then want to exploit, but overall it takes away from the ceiling of your offense, that's the type of thing that can be really good. You see it like in the NBA whenever. It's like, well, LeBron James is going to beat you. LeBron James can go and pick apart our entire offense. But if we, if we deduce him to being just a jump shooter, well, now it just comes down to how good of a jump shooter and the variability it's a lot different and yeah. a lot easier to defend. And if you make these potent passing offenses – want to just run into your D-line and into your athletes, that's also a way that you can engineer not only are you focusing on the most valuable areas, pass rush, and on defensive backs or covering and all that, it also maybe entices them to do the least optimal version of offense.
1: Rod, I got on you last week about your organizational skills, and I'm just realizing like I've got like three legal pads going, and I've got stuff scattered all over well, fun, at least yeah.
2: it's all there together you know so, what I, mean? I was trying to i was trying you to find the number is. to
1: be exact when we're talking about linebacker and the fact that like you said it's not it's not that it's devalued it's just that you have to look at it differently yeah and i went back and looked and i think i talked about this last week and i remember so if i'm repeating myself everybody listening oh this is i good. apologize But I went back and looked last year at the first and second team, all Big 12 linebackers, like the guys that were first or second team, either by the coaches or the AP, Mm. and I went back and looked at, okay, when they were recruits, where did they rank nationally in the 24-7 sports composites, the industry average? And I found that the average composite ranking for those, I think it was six or seven guys, was like number 1,069 overall. Wow. That's Mm. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's unbelievable.
2: So it's always – See, this thing about it, I don't know if they're being mis-evaluated. Yeah. Because you know they're they're bringing in big-time linebackers, at least at Oklahoma and Texas, um, if they're being mis-evaluated. Or if, like you said, the game has changed so much and so drastically where well, the ethos has to change. And it's like, well, no, yep. it's a guy that, that Gary Patterson brought in that was a running back. That was a really good athlete that he turned into a linebacker or a, a safety a that was an oversized safety like, or a JUCO it, no, transfer. Like because like he was Malcolm Rodriguez, at, you know, at
1: Oklahoma, Malcolm Rodriguez at Oklahoma State was ranked as a dual threat quarterback. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean.
2: Like if it's just project, that was right. a
1: safety and then he spun down. And you think about guys. Like
2: tight end was. You know, remember yeah. tight end always was a yeah. project. A guy that was a really good athlete, and we're just gonna put him. I put him at tight end. I think linebacker maybe no, becoming that in Big Twelve play briefly
3: last week. Whenever we talked about how, well, then let's just go and focus on those tweener safeties or you're like your tweener undersized D in the type of guys yeah. with the value that they have the ceiling to be what you want and what is one of the highly valued pieces but if this tweener doesn't work out that might be a little bit too big at safety or a
2: little it's bit crazy. too thin and lanky at DN.
3: those are the tweeners
2: that yeah. then OJ become... McClintock these days would be my linebacker because <laughs> yeah. he was just a freak and I was just like if I just they put too much weight on him and he got too big like I just kept him slim Yeah, man he'd been, he'd been Probably been yeah. I don't know. yeah, that dude. Like he, he ran for 570 yards. He set <laughs> he the all-time
3: AISD record yeah, but, against Bowie when I was he, in eighth He's grade. the guy you're talking about. Nobody yeah.
2: knew what to do with him and stuff like that. Like, was,
1: you know? I, I, we need to have OJ on the show one of these days. Oh man, because do you like, know the folklore. It was OJ always, <laughs> it was always weird. Like wherever they moved, and Rod, they moved him everywhere. He was everywhere. a D tackle. He was a D. He end, played a tight 60 end, at once, right? Like. Wherever linebacker, they, type, he was an you know, inside linebacker,
2: wide, wide receiver. Wherever <laughs> they
1: moved him, wherever they moved him, he somehow developed like the perfect body type for yeah. that position. He did because then he was like
2: a D lineman it. in like so one weird, summer. Man, he started out as a I think came in as a wide receiver from that. Him and yeah, yeah, like yeah high, he was a
1: high school quarterback.
2: Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. and a beast. Yeah, he, yeah, he's one of those guys. He should have been in this day and age. He'd have been a perfect Big Twelve linebacker randomly.
1: But, but yeah. I think you know, as as you go forward, I just think. People that follow recruiting in this league, you're gonna have to kind of reshift how you think about linebacker because to me, yeah. <laughs> when we talked about this, when we talked about recruiting a couple he weeks came ago, in with at 6-2, 189. S- we talked about it crazy a couple of weeks ago. when We talked about national <laughs> signing day. Like Jalen Ford is the kind of linebacker Texas is gonna have to recruit. Like, in that six two range, yeah. probably about one hundred ninety five, two hundred. Oh, runs yeah. really well. Yeah. And, and honestly, like, you're just going to have to look for some outliers. Like, who was Jalen Ford committed to before he flipped to Texas? Committed to Utah. Mm. Okay, if Morgan Scala is coming into this state and offering a defensive Great prospect, point. if I'm Texas or A&M or yeah. LSU or Oklahoma, I'm bird-dogging every Utah offer in the state No, of Texas. I agree
2: with you on that. That's a good point. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. I, 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 I haven't figured out linebacker yet either. I've been doing some research on it. But there is something going on with linebacker in modern football and can it just it, you know what i mean like I, I don't know where the uh, the linebacker position is going in this modern field. it, it has mm-hmm. changed drastically right now it's just big safeties pretty much that are playing linebacker and maybe the position itself is getting to the point where it'll you know it's it's no longer going to be the uh the the linebacker of old but to me it's so tough to find a guy who's that physical who can run and not be a liability on the field, either in coverage or as a run Can style. I give you a great, can I give you a great quote? Give can I give you a
1: great quote? Kevin Flaherty did a story for 24-7 Sports last summer about the, the dynamics of linebacker changing in this league. And this is the first part of the story. I'll just read this. Pittsburgh Steelers coach Mike Tomlin certainly knows his way around a successful defense. And when a longtime Big 12 assistant was asked about the need to start finding linebackers with legitimate track times, he replied with a quote he once heard from Tomlin. Look like what you hunt. Hmm. Hmm. Damn, well, look it's hard like to find those. You
3: so you need a linebacker so like, that looks like that, that, he's a speed in, demon in the Big Twelve. That a back a fu- speed demon that's also six yeah. five.
1: In, and we keep reading, in the Big Twelve that means a fundamental shift away from the fire breathing, wow. a gap filling, collision heavy linebackers of old, and a transition to quickness, speed, versatility, and ball skills. Because you because you don't catch a gazelle in the open without possessing cheetah speed yourself. In a league that has seen Tavon Austin, Tyreek Hill, and Marquise Brown roll through in recent years, finding that kind of speed takes on an added level of urgency. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's just I – I so, Rod, I don't think like the – Like that, that's a great quote. I don't think the, 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 the game – and maybe the game has changed, but I just think for that position in this league, like we talked about, man, like Gary Johnson. Right. Like no, Gary Gary Johnson was fit. the perfect big twelve linebacker. Yeah.
2: Malik Jefferson was a perfect big twelve linebacker.
1: He really in a lot of ways he really was. <laughs> he like was he's he was just a speed he's the rare the rare guy that you could find. Wow, he's coming in already at six, two, six, three, 200, yeah. 30, 240 and pounds, anything.
2: The run. crazy part about it, I remember we didn't know at the time, Derek Johnson was a perfect spread baby linebacker. Oh, yeah. Because he was all about speed, going sideline to sideline. Strangely enough, the reason that his the end of his NFL career, the second half of it, was better than the first half was because the NFL finally caught up yeah. to Big 12 football and became a spread league. And then once it became a spread league, as a spread baby linebacker, dude, he was killing it. It was but when weird. the NFL was trying to force him to become, what's yep. what Tomlin talked about, that A-gab, interior linebacker, it was brutal. It, people thought he was a bust. People yeah. thought that man, um, he can't hold up. This league is not physical enough. It was like, no, 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 no. He's just the future of football. The game hadn't caught up to how, how, how athletic and dynamic he was as a linebacker. Mm-hmm. And now, you, hell, Derek Johnson, this day and age, he, Perfect. he'd probably be on the way to having a Hall of Fame career should be told. Like, he really would be because it was just— If he, he only if he came out linebacker. in 08— Because he would have been this prime when, you know— in, Yeah, in if he would have came out first in 08
3: instead of 04, yeah. it would have aligned no, a lot be. better for him. Totally than, agree. And that's why we almost have to talk about the position differently to the NFL version because you still have to have— Like, you can get away with so much more in college linebackers in, in the Big 12 yeah. as a linebacker. Yeah. But we all sort of have molded— The position and body types into one. And I remember when we were two years ago looking at. The NFL prospects that were coming out of the Big 12 and look at the all Big 12 bodies because we were trying to figure mm-hmm. out who was going to be able to replace Malik Jefferson and all those things yeah. or even looking after Gary Johnson and like it was like, well, I really think that these some and these guys can do it because you start to look at the Big 12 conference all linebacker team and they were all guys under 225 pounds. They yep. were all like, you didn't have anybody that's a 6'2", 240 or whatever mm-hmm. it used to be to where you had guys 6'1", 215 running around for Oklahoma State, making all conference teams. Yep. So, even though they might not be a good linebacker prospect, which is going to make them be rated so low on these high school rankings because they're for pro uh, capabilities, your five stars mm-hmm. and all that, they aren't ranking that perfect fit that's an undersized 6'1, 215 guy. He's going to be one of those thousandth ranked guys because yeah. he has no chance at being an NFL linebacker. But for what he's being asked to do in college is perfect, so he's going to have a
1: really low rank. To tie it, to tie it all together, well, and, and that's honestly, Matt, w- what you're saying. Um, and and again, I, I'll tweet out this article that Kevin wrote. It's Good um, article, I like that. And and he he talks a lot to to Barton Simmons, who's our director of scouting at Twenty Four Seven Sports. Um, and I'll, I'll read from the story, and I want to read this Gary Patterson quote because I think this ties together what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, Kevin's talking about Barton Simmons. He looked at the NFL draft in 40 times, comparing the 40 times of those drafted in the top 100 picks of the draft and those who were former top 100 prospects in the 24-7 sports composite rankings and went undrafted. What he found was astounding. At no position, including wide receiver and running back, was a 40-time as tied to success as it was to linebacker. Simmons said the average high school 40 time of a linebacker drafted in the top 100 was 4.5 seconds. Hmm. The average top 100 prospect who went undrafted, 4.75. So that just shows you, again, Matt, like you're talking about, we need to stop looking at recruiting rankings. We're talking about running back. This is a quote from Gary Patterson at Big 12 Media Days last year about linebackers and kind of where it's gone in the Big 12. What is a Mike linebacker? We don't have a middle. The a gap guy. Mm-hmm. Most of ours here lately have been running backs or safeties. In this league, you better have linebackers who can vertical wide receivers or at least run with them a little bit. The prototype of the Big Ten linebacker, where they're 240, 250 pounds, that's a hard guy to play with in certain schemes in this league, unless you're not going to get in any verticals and unless you're not going to get in any vertical speed races. That's been one of the things that's helped us play defense. Traven Howard, who was with the Chargers, was a safety. Garrett Wallow was a safety. Montreal mm-hmm. Wilson was a safety.
2: Yeah. No, I mean that's just the future of football. It just makes sense too, um, so I, I I like that. I love that quote though by um, Mike Tomlin.
1: <laughs> Be, like look
2: what like what you hunt. It looks like something yep.
1: Tomlin would say.
2: It's great. It's awesome. It's
1: one. Of, it's one of your former coaches, is he not, Rod? Uh, Mike. Yeah, when I was with the Tampa Bay
2: Bucks, that was a great room. We had Monty Kiffin was the DC. Mike Tomlin was the DB coach. Raheem, Raheem Morris. Morris. Was like the grad assistant. Hell, and, McVay was a GA. GA um, on that. Team. He was a GA. My man Shanno was over there as a GA. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> hey, that's just. Which one about John Gruden? I know I talk about him being an a hole. Hey, uh, man knew how to recruit some talent around there. You know I've heard Sims talk that about that. I mean, that that, that team yeah. they made it to the playoffs. Uh, yeah,
1: you, did. your your boy Sims, right? He's got some hot sports opinions on on John Gruden. Still.
2: Uh, yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Yeah, I mean, John. Listen, John Gruden was. Uh, he, I know he's friendly and everybody loves him on TV and Monday Night mm-hmm. Football and the quarterback stuff. But he is a, he was a straight up a hole as a coach. I, I mean, honestly, I think people know that. You know. know, I listen to Sims yeah. a lot. It seems like
3: Sims isn't necessarily the hot take guy. He just isn't afraid to tell the truth. So he just tells things that are experiences or the truth, and
2: just mm-hmm. like, hey man, you got to live with what the truth is. Yeah, you got to be. If you're gonna have <laughs> hey, if you're gonna be an opinion maker, you better have a damn opinion. You know what I mean? That's just that Sam Simp. That's a basic requirement. Yeah. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, I uh, hope you guys got something out of our linebacker discussion this week and kind of the Chris Ash defense. And we'll get more into this as we get towards spring ball and we start. Yeah, start breaking out. we'll get to personnel. know the
2: defense and then and obviously the coaches a little bit more too. Oh, by the way, Coach Withers added to. Yeah, let's talk. And a, he's not. He's not an. He's not. He's not a defensive assistant or mm-hmm. analyst. He's an offensive of analyst.
1: Well, let's before we get out of here, yeah. let's spend a couple engineer. of minutes. So, Tom Herman, you know they're they're yeah. going to be analysts hired, but. Uh, the two, and uh, Chip Brown reported this on Horns 24-7. Uh, Dave Huxtable, coming <laughs> over from NC State, he'll be an analyst. <laughs> I
2: know. Why is that funny to everybody <laughs> well, Just because
3: so, you hear Huxtable. You only know one Huxtable.
1: Yes, yeah.
3: and it's not Nobody's a good ever
2: known another Huxtable other than Heathcliff Huxtable and the Huxtables. So, and yeah. he the yeah. Huxtables. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and that, uh, yeah, that just the Bill, he, Bill, Bill Cosby thing. Yeah. People people like a, got jokes.
2: Uh, do you know that Dave uh, That if Dave Huxtable has, because this is my theory now, Dave Huxtable and even every Withers. Whether there's going to be an offensive analyst, and Dave Huxable now for the defensive side of the ball. Um, I don't know if either one of them have an expertise as a defensive coach, and, and that's not that's not a slight, by the way. I think if they were doctors, they would be general practitioners. They're not. You don't really have a specialty. Uh, Dave a Huxtable's
1: team. been a linebackers coach. He's know, coached no, d no, line a couple that. different spots. Oh, no, no. That's like that. that. your know running back coach. Mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
2: He's just. But I'm saying coach. like when uh, okay, Larry Fedora. Larry Fedora came in. I was like, oh RPO, RPO, RPO. That's all you. RPO, RPO, RPO. Oh, RPO. You're talking about you know it, okay. what I mean? Like something you do, something you can come in. Like oh no no no, no. this is kind of what I specialize in. Um, even when they were um, uh, talking about him, I'm trying to think about the other assistant they brought in. When they brought in Andre Coleman from K-State, I remember, in, even though I'm wrong with that, I, I thought you know, special teams, and you know, will help with special teams, obviously, because he had a special teams background. And I thought, oh, coming from K-State, he's going to help them with their quarterback run game. Right. That was one of the things that you know, K-State was really known for in their offense. You know, e- Even if it's not fair uh, and even if it's not accurate, coaches often get attached to – different mm-hmm. terms and concepts. Like, oh no, no, this guy brings he's gonna bring this concept. Because the in. public Whatever views him through one portal that yes. one time they found and them. And Everett Withers and Dave Huxable don't really have that. What they are are veteran football coaches. I think it's going to what we talked about with Chris Ash. I think they want to get back to just developing talent. What I think that Everett Withers can do and what I guess I can vouch for because he I, you know I was a player under Coach Withers. He is gonna be a an absolute freak about you know technique and we played my bump and run. I learned a lot of my bump and run technique from Everett Withers. And getting back to our initial conversation about getting a jam at the line of scrimmage, you know, what I mean, I can still remember him yelling and screaming with dip in his mouth, like getting getting a jam at the line of scrimmage, Babers. You know what I mean? So I think even Sounds Dave like Hustle Sergeant, he was he did have a lot of drill sergeant. That's a good point. I think it's about it's going to be about those guys or old old school football coaches. All of them have special teams backgrounds, by the way, Huxtable and um, also Coach Withers. But they're going to get back just teaching the technique and teaching the alignment and assignment and making sure the guys have the best possible um, like football knowledge and the best grasp on the concepts that they're running. Just like you said, Chris Ash, not a schemer. All right, but he's uh, about executing, right? What say, schemers and executors? Is that what he said, the two things are?
1: Schemers or schemers and executors. Yeah,
2: he's an executor guy. So getting back to Coach Weathers, execution. All right, just make sure your technique is right, your alignment, your assignment. The rest will take care of itself.
3: Well, and I mean, if he's coming in as an offensive analyst, would this make him almost fit the Belichickian model now? Because
2: uh, he, de- he, he he does fit the Belichickian model. He actually did coach special teams like way way back. Well, in I know Belichick. that I, I just
3: I it. didn't know he was ever yeah. an offensive
1: coach. Uh,
2: no, but I think Everett Withers
1: did one year who coached wide, receiver. wide receivers at you, Austin P. There you there go. There you
2: go. Uh, so yeah, he is Belichick. Austin I, I, P. I wide hope, out. This is my hope for Tom Harmon because I think they misused the the, the analyst they had last year in Larry Fedora and or underutilized them, I should say, Larry Fedora and uh, Andre Coleman. Dylan Fedora was on there, too. They were trying to bring in David Beatty. It didn't work out. I think the analyst role, at least if I was a head coach, I would have those guys into counterintelligence, especially guys like Larry Fedora who are head coaches. I would have them coming up weekly, week to week, with game plans to specifically exploit and identify weaknesses within our our offensive or defensive blueprint based on them replicating and mimicking the offense, you know, the opponent that week. Yeah. And that way we can better anticipate adjustments throughout the game when the opponent makes them because we've already anticipated, oh, when we make this chess move, they're going to make this counter move. Mm-hmm. And that way you have a better counter punch. I think way too often Tom Herman is slow and sometimes, you know, sometimes it's slow to nonexistent in terms of his adjustments that need to be made. The fact that they ran bunch formation for the first damn time all season against Utah, and it's like, well, we did that as a specific game plan adjustment. You should have been doing that the entire season. We said you know the what same I mean? thing in it. big 12 championship. Game finally, the year you before. know, putting Joseph aside down into the front seven. It's like you just figured that out. Man, we've been yelling about that for eight weeks now. You know what I mean? It just take it takes yeah. them way too long to adjust. And I think that's because they're not good at self-scouting. These guys, these analysts are supposed to help you with that task.
1: I hope my, That's my hope, Rod, is that you become a better self-scouting operation with Dave Huxtable and with Everett Withers because the innovation, the innovation is coming from your coordinators. Yes. With Mike Yersich on offense, we talked about that no last doubt. week. This week we talked about Chris Ash and Chris and Ash. And the installation. But right. they right. need Chris the information and, well, well, that's, these that's, guys. yeah, yeah The innovation you, and the installation. I'm glad you said that because <laughs> Chris Ash is more about installation than innovation. Yeah. It's yeah. We're going to be really fundamentally sound. We're a good tackling team. We're, we're getting lined it. up exactly. right. You know, Chris Ash, one, I, I wish I could find the quote here, and I, I'm sorry, I got my I feel the same way when I pads. run through my papers. I, I know it's in up. here somewhere. But he <laughs> said that he borrowed a quote from Bill Belichick that he firmly Ooh, believes yeah. in. And w- this is what interests me about Chris Ash. And, Rod, you talk about the you know, football being kind of this marketplace of ideas, right? It is, no question. You know, he went to Seattle and studied. Like, he saw, like, the, the, the Pete Carroll tackling film. hmm He didn't want to just watch the film. Like, he went to Seattle and studied Pete Carroll. How do you yeah, teach this? Why do you teach this? Yep. Um, he Major got of got real real deep in with the Patriots. He's good friends with Mike Vrabel. A lot of his tackling videos, yeah, a lot of his tackling videos that he teaches tackling off of, put together by Joe Judge.
2: Interesting. I didn't know that. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that gets me excited. That, that titillates me right there. So Belichickian connection. Yeah.
1: So Chris Ash is pretty pretty deep into the the Bill Belichick way of. He's a
2: fo- See, that's what I call. It. And I think you're this too. I think, and I think the Texas market has a lot of these guys. I am. I believe this too. And I'm the one who probably coined the term football theorist. I think you're just into football theory, and you'll study it, and that's why it's kind of a free market of ideas. He's a football theorist. He'll go almost anywhere to study a football concept or idea. It's like not a just, musician. It's not enough to just read it online or read it in a book. No, no, no. I got to go talk to the person yeah. who, who actually specializes in this football concept. That's why you go to the clinics. Like, no, no, I, no, I go to I many wanna go clinics. Here. Like yeah, you I hear here. that with musicians all
3: the time. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. So I think you're, you're kind of a football theorist. I am one. I think there are a few good ones in this market, but... Uh, yeah, I think that's he is. And all the guys that might click the wood, we're all football theorists. Like, we'll we'll go, you know, dive and dive deep in and and, and and get into a deep football concept or a history of a play or a concept. And it's awesome. Yeah, I because mean, I football here, porn. Here,
1: here's where I come <laughs> from it, Rod. I, I don't I'll never tell somebody, oh, that's wrong or, you know, it's here's my idea of it. I want to know how it works and why it works. Like, why yeah. do you do this? Why there you, isn't why one you, right why answer? Why do you believe, you know, Agreed. if you're a coach, why do you believe that a uh, why do you believe press quarters is a good exactly. scheme? Why are you a believer in the cover three?
2: Yeah, and then I want to know. I go deeper. I want to know where it came from. Well, how did it originate? Then why well, did you come up with this zone blitz scheme? What and what was the yeah? What was the origin of it? Did you get the football gods bless you with it? No, it was just the Miami Dolphins uh, trying to. They were trying to maximize a guy Bob Matheson, who was a <laughs> hybrid uh, defensive player, who was like a linebacker slash safety, and they were like, you know what? This guy is pretty damn good. So they were trying to use a hybrid defender. So they made up the zone blitz scheme so they can use him as a rusher, but also use him as a pass defender and a run stopper zone like, blitz I was didn't, born and then the Miami Dolphins went on a dynastic well, I didn't know until you,
1: I didn't know until you told me until okay. you until you told me I had no idea that and I should have cuz Tony Dungy was a part of those Steelers teams that basically the Tampa 2 was put in it wasn't called the Tampa 2 but basically that was a scheme invented to utilize Jack Lambert oh, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, middle linebacker Middle drop. linebacker was Like He's a freakish middle linebacker It turned linebacker it into a cover three That can three. drop into coverage He can run with wide receivers So you know what In this cover two scheme We're going to let Jack Lambert drop back With those tight ends And wide receivers Down the seam And it's like You can Tampa. free up your They safeties. called it Tampa two later But there, it was introduced To Tony Dungy Because of those Steelers teams.
1: But that's what That's what's interesting yeah. Like you might call it something But like okay Where did where did Like I'm Where'd with you from? Like
2: where did that start Like oh mm-hmm. it started back
1: In oh, the I 70s I love or that kind of story well, And the then they can
3: yeah. be Spawned from different yeah. areas Some can well, be But
2: then, historically, you can figure out, okay, but that's about problem solving. This is why Bill—I know we're going to end the podcast, but this is why Bill Belichick is the greatest historian, arguably, in football today— Because he studies so much football, Mm -hmm. it helps him solve the modern-day problem. Yep. All right? The best way to to predict human behavior is to study human behavior. That is Mm -hmm. all history is. And if you want to look at the best way to solve a problem, there's somebody in history in your industry that that has faced a similar problem. And they can either, through their bad decisions and leading them to their downfall or their good decisions, they can give you a bit of uh enlightenment about how to handle the decision. And that's why history is great. That's why that's why I study that's why coaches should always if you're if you're if you if your coach is not a history buff about football history then you might want to rethink it because you don't even
3: know what you'll get into because <laughs> yeah.
2: sometimes things you'll are spawned fall because yeah.
3: your opponents are doing something so you're trying to adjust but sometimes you have a piece that you're trying to go and use in a different way like there can be so many different ways that you can come into this new idea some based upon your opponents or one situation you're trying to solve some of yeah. you're just trying to go and maximize on your usually side, it's so. just trying to solve a problem Yep. And they just like,
2: oh, this is how I solve the problem. Oh, who knows? I can't, I innovated this because. I but was it, to sometimes solve the it damn can come from within you know? your own house
3: yeah. that you you have because a deficiency here. Joe
2: Gibbs popularizes the H back because he's trying to block Lawrence freaking Taylor. He's like, well, yeah. I gotta block this guy. And my tackles can't do it. Well, you know what? Yeah. I'm gonna add another guy out there basically so he can run around my tackle, my tight end, and my H back. And it's like, well, damn, that's hard for even Lawrence Taylor to do. Trying to solve a problem and yep. innovated and came up with the triple tight end. There's
1: two things in, in closing to, to tie that all together that I want to leave you with Chris Ash. One of his thoughts was the difference between a good defense and a bad defense is missed tackles. That's what it boils down to.
2: Ooh. Ooh. That's good. Mm. I, oh,
3: man. Could be a difference between a really bad one, too.
2: Yeah. I mean, you're right. It's, it's going to
3: magnify. It's the fundamental part of defense. Which so, is why he's gonna there. You Texas. can't be a good defense without you can't a be good a
1: de- yeah. If you yeah. he wants his Texas defense to be a very fundamentally sound defense, and this leads into the Belichick quote that I finally found in my mess of yes. papers. There you go. Give
2: me that
3: Belichick quote. We can end it with it, right?
1: More football games are lost than are won. <laughs> there you go.
2: Oh, I love that.
3: You lost it because you didn't think about yeah, what I was gonna do. Oh, the it's turning God, the ball good. over. So it's simple. missed tackles.
1: It's blown assignments. Oh. It's,
2: That is fantastic. So yeah. true though. Yeah, so it really, its, it's I mean, like, so it's simple, in, man. Yeah, it's, like you it's, said, it's simple, getting complicated by simple. Yeah, by a, simple yeah that's exactly
3: right. Yeah, hey, amen. A Great way to end it. That's exactly right there.
1: But Rod, I figured yeah. you'd like that, man. That Chris Ash has been really dialed into no, the Patriots. No, he sounds
2: like he's a—he's a, a, like I said, a football theorist. And I think those—that means he's—that means he's a problem solver. And that's what I want my coaches to be. Just go solve the damn problem. What was it? Tackling? What's the problem? We can't cover. What's the problem? We can't play the ball in in space. What's the problem? let's go solve the problem I love Tyler Lando but he didn't do that enough toward the end of his team can I leave you with one quote when, we talk, about, when, oh, we, yeah, when we talk yeah. about
1: Big 12 defense and how Gary Patterson's kind of figured this too. league out? <clears throat> this is from a, a Grantland piece back in 2011 with his quotes in hmm. Kevin's story it's Gary Patterson saying I do not believe the 4-2-5 defense is the best defense ever made the bottom line is this does your defense fit your personnel and can you fix that defense when you're in a game and the offense causes you a problem, do you have the answer so you can correct the problem?
2: Oh, dude, send me that quote. Would you send me that? Yeah. That is fantastic. That's literally all I've been saying. Mm-hmm. You're, they're problem solvers, man. Just go solve the problem. And some of them do it awesome. Some of them are so, do it seamlessly, like Matt Rule. It's just like, boom. You don't even notice the problem because they solve it so quickly. As a
1: defensive coordinator, Will Muschamp was a great problem. solver. He was a great player. problem
2: solver. Exactly, like figure out what they're doing. They, because their job is to cause you a problem. Your job is to solve the problem. And you can tell that
1: question was <laughs>
3: asked as, "Well, why is your four-two-five so great?" He's like, "No." It's not that it it ain't nothing that about the it's four man right. I'm it ain't adjusting the three man line. It, it, no, that's what I'm saying. It's not the yeah. three man no,
1: line. No, it's just adjust to what you're facing,
0: please. <laughs> yeah. The three man line.
3: And that goes oh. that goes
1: back to the pillars of defense we talked about. See, like, do you have you, players? Can you going te- to a Can you line. teach your scheme? Yep. Do you have players? Can you teach your scheme? Can you put the players within the right position within said scheme? And, then can, you and can you evolve it? Can you
2: evolve it? when you, have you solve the problem? When so you solve problem. Well, we the should formation. change forward to can you solve the problem because you will be presented with a problem. So maybe change four to can you solve the problem, mm-hmm. the inevitable problem, yep. whatever it may be. And Todd Orlando could The couldn't. ever-changing problem. He, exactly. It's always be. Chris wonderful.
1: Ash is going to have a defense where we're going to be so fundamentally sound that it doesn't matter what question you pose, we'll have an answer for it. We'll have an answer for it.
3: Yeah. There you go. Agreed.
0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match
1: limited by state law. Okay. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. <clears> Rod <throat> B, appreciate the time and the knowledge.
2: Had fun as always.
1: For Matt for Rod for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049-1019 AM twelve sixty streaming on the Horn app and at Hornfm.com where you can get Rod B on the Rodcast each and every weekday from one to three. Shameless plug. Thanks to Matt, you can get our archives, classic interviews, classic shows on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. And you can get this podcast anywhere you get your podcast by searching Horns 24-7 Podcast. That's Longhorn Blitz, State of Recruiting, and the flagship Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. Anywhere you get your podcast. just search Horns 24-7 Podcast. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I am Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz
0: with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road